I'm Dana, a former TV presenter and radio host. But to Luca and Darcy, I'm known as... Mommy! Maybe one day they'll realise I used to be cool. Being a mum has been my greatest joy and biggest headache. It's taken me to playgroups and parent gatherings, mainly for cake and coffee, but also to meet parents and swap stories, which reminded me I'm not alone and the things we face are normal. And that's what this podcast, Parents We've Met, is all about. Grief is grief. It can sneak up on you, eh? Just like a beetle on the base of a big kauri tree. You don't deal with that beetle. You don't deal with that other little problem. Next minute, kaboom, you go over. I don't think we're meant to do this parent gig alone. And I knew I needed a bit of a coach to help me along the way. And that's where Jenny comes in. Dana, not again. Just me. Come on, Jenny. Every parent has their own story and their own struggles. So join us as we chat through the magic and mess of this parenting gig. Kapai Jenny. Welcome to Parents We've Met. Season one's final guest is one of our very own, the much-loved Peel today. Peel is one of New Zealand's founding comedians and media personalities. Are you trying to say he's been here for a long time? <laughs> yep. He's performed hundreds of shows and gigs across Aotearoa and abroad over the years. Alongside his very long-standing entertainment career, which awarded him a New Zealand Order of Merit in 2012, Peel pours his heart and soul into helping parents and whānau through his work with Parenting Place and other charities. I've had the personal privilege of knowing Peel for about 20 years and journeying with him through some wonderful highs as well as some very low lows and you're going to hear more about that in this chat. One thing that has always struck me about Peo is how much he loves to hear other people's stories. It doesn't matter where you go, he'll strike up a conversation with a restaurant owner or a cabbie or anyone he's working with. He's just got this beautiful capacity to understand people and level with them in a really gracious and non-judgmental way. But today we're going to flip the tables to hear more about Peel and his stories. So, should we kick it off? Kia ora, Peel. Kia ora. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today and having a bit of a corridor. Mm. Um, usually when we start these things, we get a bit of a snapshot of people's whānau. So could you tell us maybe who's in your whānau? Um, the lovely uh, Deborah, luckiest woman in New Zealand, <laughs> but she forgets sometimes. <laughs> uh, it was just her birthday recently too, so I got a ride on Muller. <laughs> Such a romantic, eh? And my eldest son, Jack, who's uh, 30, Dalton, who's 27, and Tina, 24, if he was still in our space. Mm. 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 Oh, and Sachi, the German Shepherd, mm. and Storm, the other German Shepherd. Oh, and the chocks. Oh, no, carry on. <laughs> Actually, I, you do have a bit of a mini farm there. Yep. I remember dropping you home once and you, like, quickly ran in and brought me eggs out. Yeah, well, that's I what we it. do, you know. That's yeah. good. That's yeah. good. I'd love to know more about your uh, lovely, lucky wife, Debs. Yeah. What, what's it like being her uh, sidekick in this parenting gig? Oh, yeah, we've, we're quite different. And we don't agree on everything. Is that normal? Um, <clears throat> but we do talk. We talk well. We talk well. We pick the times to talk, you know, if there's things that uh, have the potential to become prickly. Oh, a little bit uncomfortable. We make sure that we're in a good headspace before we start talking about those things. And and that's something I learned from the parenting place as well. Timing's everything, Kaz. But yeah, and, and just a really dedicated mum and, you know, just um, everything's in its place, you know. I, I think about my tamariki when they were small and, and the lunches they had. You know, we used to have, uh, you know, not much at all. 
uh, you know, we were blue-collar family, so we'd... Um, what did we have for lunch? We have golden syrup on bread and they get all sort of crusty in the sun <laughs> and a drink that had too much sugar. Fact. Yeah, it was horrible. But, you know, all our kids had everything they needed and she was in that area where they were either going to martial arts or swimming or learning. So we were lucky enough and planned enough, because it's not just about luck, to make sure that the boys had lots of different things as they developed as young young people, you know? Mm. So, yeah, and she's the driving force of that. And I have to say, I wasn't home a lot of the time in my early part of my career. I am available now, of course, as a D celebrity. Um, so she was a real mover and shaker in that parenting space, so. and still is. What did your upbringing look like, Pio? What was family life like? What were you like? Well, in those days, uh, Māori families coming from rural areas, you'd have to go into a ballot for a house through the Māori affairs. And we were lucky enough to get a house out in Te Atatū South. And there was just mum and dad and me and my brother. Dad was a native speaker of Te Reo Māori and mum as well. Mum, very, very strong religious Catholic woman from Pongaru. And uh, we just had a really simple, stunning upbringing. My father never raised a hand to us. He had too much money for that. I remember asking him, one, Dad, why didn't you give us a bit of a, you know, hey, a bit of a clip around the old, you know? He says, oh, no, I'm too smart for that. He just had mm. money. You know, I remember talking to some of our team at the parenting place about having a little policeman. You put a little policeman in, in your kids' heads where they go, oh, I wonder what mum would think. Or and we had that. Oh, mm. man, I don't want to disappoint mum and dad. But we were lucky. We were rich because dad was a truck driver and could bring up a family and pay the mortgage on a truck driving ways in mm. those days. We came home from school. Mum was home. We went to church on Sundays and hung out, boring, but we hung out, especially Māori mess, mate, they'll go on for years. But in the simplicity was wealth growing up. And in a quarter-acre section where we used to play bull rush and, and eat golden queen peaches and nectarines off the trees my dad planted, it was fantastic. I can imagine you, though, as a little boy, I reckon you would have been quite cheeky. Were you a bit of a joker back then as well? <laughs> well, cheek and wit was something that, number one, is encouraged in a Māori household. And number two, I'm not sure if it's applicable to me, it was a sign of somebody who was comfortable mm. and had a sharp brain. So I encourage wit and humour with the boys. Mm. So they would give me heaps. You know, they'd have a whole, like, it was like a dad noises. They'd do dad noises, you know. Like, if I was sitting at the table and I'd say, ah, then the whole three of them go, <laughs> one, two, ah. you know, all these dad noises and stuff, and they're really cheeky, but they weren't disrespectful. There was yeah. a line, you know. So, yeah, and Dad would love a joke and, you know, the old wink of the eye and that sort of stuff. But that only happens in a or not, in my opinion, that happens in a home where kids are comfortable with those sorts of reactions, you know, my old man never said to me, oh, be quiet, don't be stupid. You know, he'd, he would, you know, oh, how come you thought of that? Why did you say that? Mm. So he, he created a really fertile place for, for kōrero, eh, for, mm. for conversation. And that, again, is something that we're missing so much in our homes today is conversation. Pure, what are the things that you have brought into your own parenting that you learnt or grew up with? I think um, loyalty. 
loyalty to the whānau, mm. your name, right? And the fact that my name Pure comes from my uh, grandfather mm. and you look after that name. So even when I became in that public arena, that name was very is, is special to me, our surname. Mm. Um, unconditional love is something that I had as a child. Mm. So even though you stuff up as you do as a kid, you know, burning the school down was a bit of an issue for Dad, but no, no. But, you know, that sort of stuff. But I think they were going to do it up anyway. But he just had this unconditional love uh, for us. So those are the sorts of things I brought in to uh, – and manners, eh? Yeah. Like, you know, Dad – I remember, Dad, when we first got the phone, don't you start giggling about how yeah. young you are, right? It's all good. Yeah. He says, boy, you're dead. He says, uh, when the phone rings, you say, Kilda pure here, how can I help you? I says, why? He says, because you're the receptionist for our whare. Mm. You're the first voice. Don't get on the phone and go, huh. <laughs> So you're the first impression. So he'd compare it to, to the wahine doing the karanga at the marae. He says, you're the first voice, boy. See, you get a job at the Ford Motor Company, you can't just pick up the phone and go, huh. You know, and just those things about being polite, saying thank you, I mean... I'm sure I've got gigs and jobs just because I wasn't very good, but, gee, I was a nice fella. Mm. Just those things that are worth so much. And these days it really puts you into a special arena uh, because just those actions, you know, be good to somebody, mm. all those things. And a lot of that come from my mum as well, you know. Pure, if you haven't got anything nice to say about somebody, best not to say it. Well, I didn't follow that. <laughs> But they're only basic things. And you've got to remember, Dad um, went to a native school. By the age of 13, he was cutting tea tree in the Hokianga. Mum went to a Catholic school with nuns who were pretty, pretty fierce in their discipline. But there was a real softness in our home, eh? Plus, there was a real fierceness too. When you played football, when you got in the ring and did all. We were introduced to all those things as kids, mm. sports and music. So all those things I've brought into our family mm. as well. And they're good things, no regrets at all, mm. you know. What were some of the traditions that you and Debs had in your home? Christmas was a biggie. We're only just getting back a little bit into Christmas because Christmas was Tainer's time. And he'd do the menu, he'd do the guest list, and he invited an auntie one year because my wife's from Croatian whakapapa, so they're a bit like Māori, eh? Um, the, food's very important, always over cater, and lots of noise around the table, lots of laughter. So Tana would do the menu, the main things that he would want, and the guest list. Now, one auntie, she was in charge of the raw fish. Well, she bought the raw fish, it wouldn't have fed a sparrow. And Tana dropped her off the list for the following year. <laughs> well, you've got to pull your weight, eh? you got to pull your weight. <laughs> and so Christmas were big, birthdays were big. You know, my boys were in their 20s and stuff, and Deb still did the um, the little, what are those little, like the starry things Aww. along the, the dust, the yeah, yeah, yeah. flaky mm. stuff. I don't know what it is. What is it? It's magic. Glitter. Glitter. That's it. <laughs> I should know that. I'm a 70s boys. Um <laughs> do the glitter, and they always had their stockings, and they'd mm. get the almonds and all those things. Always eat together, all those sorts of things. Uh, if it was a barbecue, you can eat without your shirt. If you're sitting at the table, put something on. 
you know, never a hat. You know, I remember going to a, uh, like a truck stop and all these people, and of course all the trucking guys had their hats on, eh, having a big feed, the big breakfast, and my boys walk in with their caps and stuff turned on backwards, and I said, boys, take your cap off. And it was so loud that half these trucking fellows are going, oh. <laughs> <laughs> so just little things like that that don't hurt mm. they don't hurt at mm. all it just gives you some you know they're good boundaries yeah um what comes naturally to you as a dad and what have you needed to be more intentional about i have to be more intentional about listening about listening and and trying to see a world just not through my eyes, because you just want to fix so much stuff, eh? You just, you know, we come from humble beginnings. Mum and Dad brought us to Auckland, so the bar was raised for us. Okay, so my job as a dad, you know, and I take on myself, is to raise the bar even higher, you know, but quite often the boys would have their own opinions and, and strong opinions, and I'm not sure what it was like being brought up by somebody who was in the limelight as well, especially in the early days of television and comedy. Like, I, I think they probably got a little bit sick of it, really. You know, you go to Food Town and, you know, be talking to people for half an hour mm. and, and stuff like that. And, and even now, even Deb, oh, you're Pure's wife. No, no. <laughs> no, no, I'm Deb, you mm. know. Um, so what was the question again? <laughs> <laughs> you're talking about listening. Yes, <laughs> see, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so what came naturally and then, yeah, what you had to be more intentional about as a, as a dad? Um, working hard came naturally. Providing, being a good provider for my family came naturally. You just got to get up and go. And there's a price for that. There's a price of not being around as much as you want to be or should be or could be. But in those early years of bringing up Tamariki, you don't know about the impact of being a slightly absent parent. But you just work hard. They were my motivation. I remember when I first got a job, Tim went to Morrison. Are you allowed to name drop on this Yeah, show? do it. Do yeah, it like Tim, it. Tim, me and Tim are like that. He rang me up and says, oh, bro, because uh, he talks like this. They all do those Morrisons. Hey, bro, uh, I'm uh, finishing at the radio station. Brother, I'm going to be a doctor. I says, what? A doctor? Yeah, bro. Shortland Street. Dr. Opata. <laughs> so I took over as the breakfast host, okay? And and I was so nervous, and I took a photo of Jack, because Jack was the only one we had, and my little boy right in front of me. And I did the midnight to dawn shift, and I didn't even know half the buttons to push, and I'm looking at my boy and says, this is why I'm here, buddy. Mm. This is why I'm here, to work for you and, and to promote that work ethic, turn up on time, and all those things, and, and that led into television and all the rest of it. But the motivation is for me, coming naturally was to be a provider. Mm. Because all our parents were providers from mm. nothing. Mm. We never staffed. You know, I used to get home and, and, and Dad would have, he'd be ploughing up the backyard. I thought, my old man's into horticulture. No, we didn't have enough money. And then next minute we had watermelon and fruit trees and all this stuff. My parents never suffered from a poverty of spirit. Mm. Okay. They knew who they were. They were proud of who they were, not arrogant about who they were. They were Maori, and that's what I was brought up with, and that's what my kids got as well. Mm. So when my kids were, I talk a lot, don't I? It's a talk show. So when the boys were born, I said to Deb, you can name the boys. 
but have a reason why you name them this name. And she says, well, why don't you be involved? I says, they can't change the surname. That's our tupuna name, Hmm. today. So Jack was named after a favourite uncle of hers. Uh, Dalton was named after my father, Dalton or Tatana. And Taina means the youngest one. So he was a form of Māori contraception because once you have a Taina, you can't have anyone, you know. So so they mean something, eh? And for a lot of Māori kids, having names that can connect them back to their whakapapa, to their marae and stuff, huge. Yeah. And we're seeing... Seeing kids who don't have those those roots or foundations mm. for growth in those places that belong to them, um, that can be confusing sometimes. Pio, you mentioned the um, the loss of Tana over yeah. seven years ago, yeah. and there's been a lot of grief to work through. Yeah. Can you share with us a little bit about how you've journeyed through that grief? Pretty poorly in the early part, um, Jen, and, and one of the reasons why I I hang with so many positive, intelligent people is because they know what not to say. I remember coming in after we lost Tana um, to cancer. He was 17. And nobody asked me how my Christmas was. I was so thankful. What a dumb question to ask me how my Christmas was. And I'd walk past and somebody would smile and say, hey, Pure. I says, yep. I says, I hope you had, um, you know, the best Christmas you could have had. Thinking of you, bro. That's intelligent aroha, okay? That's intelligent aroha. So I've surrounded myself with that. Uh, In the early days, because there's these different stages of grief, I I drank too much, and I've knocked that on the head a long, long time ago. But just to cope with the pain, eh? I've got whānau who are very strong Christians, and I had real healthy discussions around God. I remember having a discussion with uh, a previous CEO who's very strong in his faith. And I says, mate, I'm not sure about this God of yours, bro. And we had this discussion, and it wasn't about who was right or who was wrong. It was a discussion that was helpful. And, you know, he says, oh, bro, I don't know about you, but it's a bit like when you're up north and you look at your phone and you've only got one bar, you're not really connected. That's how I feel about God at the moment. And he totally understood. So staying in a space like that where I was supported was huge for my my continued journey of, of living through grief. And I get a bit sick of myself, actually, because I'm always the guy, the grief guy, but I don't care because that's it. That's That's who I am now. You know, Deb and I have walked through grief, and we've also walked through it separately, eh? Sometimes women need women mm. to grieve with, you know, to lose a child for wakine. I can't comment on that. And she stayed with Tina through those months in hospital. And there's an organisation called Healing Hearts because we met a, another beautiful family who lost their boy who was about 18. Now we know heaps of people who are members of this crap club, And there are lots of them, and we've tried and will continue to try and help people who are in the space of numbness. So, yes, so I've talked to a lot of people about grief. I remember talking to you, Jenny, and you said to me, oh, pure, sometimes grief causes reckless behaviour. And, like, that is so true. Like, 
I had to go and speak on grief to a group of headmasters. And so I started reliving the pictures in my head about what happened to my boy. By the time I got in the car to go to this mm. this function, I get up to the to the to the theater to uh, turn off, and a couple of young fellas cut me off in their car. Mm. Well, I hit the window button and I gave them heaps. I says, "If you get, I was just violent because I kicked straight into mm. red brain and I got reckless. I'm glad they didn't get out of the car because you know I'm, I'm not in the shape I was when I was 25, but." I was abusive out the window, and that was grief, mm. and that was going to red brain, and I was so angry. When you said that to me, I really understood how people in the whānau are going to grieve mm. differently. And then I was driving up north, and I thought, grief causes reckless behaviour. Then I started, and I don't want to go off on this topic, but then I started thinking about what if there's a whole race of people grieving? Mm. What about intergenerational grief? What about the negative vibe as a mum while you're breastfeeding uh, your baby and somebody walks in to dawn raid your house? How does that hand down and head down? And when we look at statistics of people, mm. that's a whole different podcast, mm. but it's real. And then I started thinking about, you know, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but I'm quite intelligent. So I was quite systematic in handling my grief. What about people who just fall over and don't have what I had or the connections I had and the support I had mm. to navigate through this stuff? Mm. So even though I, I don't want anybody to, to stare at the black door that I stared at, I was lucky to position myself in a space where I continue to walk with grief. And Jenny, it's a funny thing. Grief starts to become your companion. You know, when I drive up north, it's sitting right next to me. Mm. And I go, oh, there you are again. Yeah. But then if that's the only connection I have to my boy, that's it. Yeah. So it's tough. It's yeah. been very tough. And it's been a privilege to walk beside you. You know, not everyone's walked where you have, and you've opened your heart. And I think that's been an enormous gift to to others as mm. well. A lot of people are carrying grief in all sorts of shapes oh. and sizes. And you know, grief is grief. I mean, to lose a child is uh, the worst. But like when Tainer's German Shepherd died, mm. that was Tainer's dog. I had to take a week mm. off work. Mm. You know, so you go, oh, how silly. No, it's not silly. No. Grief is grief. Mm. And you got to be clever about looking after yourself going through that, eh? Mm. Do you know, I'm a box of fluffy ducks today, aren't no, I? No, it's, it's so good because, you know, like I remember when my dad died two years ago and coming around and seeing you... Uh, arm around the shoulder mm. and I remember talking to you a few months ago and I'm like man you, you're I don't have a lot of uh be very careful yes, here my words older <laughs> slightly older mature mature men in my life now mm. and so I love coming to work and seeing you and and being able to have really honest chats around grief you know and I've kept my dad's mugs and on days that I really miss her I'm, I'm having a hard day because we used to have so many coffees together I get those cups out and I've made you a coffee in one of those mugs mm. I, I love holding one of his mugs and just feeling mm. that yeah you know and and for, like for you going up north 
that's a, a place that you probably have, have put aside in a sacred space for going and sitting with Tana. Yeah. Well, we sit with him every day. Mm. We don't have to go up north mm. for him to be in our spirit and in our life. And um, and he's talked about, you know, he's got a netball team named after him. We're just building a tiny house, which is going to be called Tainas Whare, mm. uh, where people can go. And it's it's a bit of pressure um, on me, especially being dad, to put up a headstone. Mm. Not ready. Mm. Not ready, you know. And that, and even that, because I researched headstones, and it's not actually a Māori concept. But I think, you know, marking it is good, but I'm not ready for mm. that. It was only this year that I was able to post his photos on um on Facebook, you know, mm. bloody, bloody handsome boy, mate, I tell mm. you, you know, obviously. But, um, yeah, grief is grief. And if people ever think that you're affected by your grief, oh, this is silly. No, no, look after yourself. Be careful, mm. you know, and don't hold it because it's a bit like, um, you know, if you don't deal with it, 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 it can sneak up on you, eh? Mm. I remember guys saying, Oh, you just, oh, I'll sort that later, sort that later. And it's just like a beetle on the base of a big kauri tree. I'll bring in a bit of Māori mythology in here. And the, you don't deal with that beetle. You don't deal with that other little problem. They're all little problems. Don't worry about it. Next minute, kaboom, you go over. And I think a lot of people uh, aren't dealing with stuff. And, man, I'd rather cry than die, you know. I'm still around, mate. Yeah. I had a really bad headache and I knew that I needed to have a cry. But because I wasn't allowing myself to, it was just like this pounding headache for a couple of days. And I think, you know, you're right, there's just... Stop different... doing that. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's a very British thing to do, by the way. <laughs> Stiff up a lip. Neck well, minute. sometimes, and that's where I talk about, you know, like having a space you go to because sometimes we get so busy that we don't allow ourselves to feel all the things that we're carrying. Yeah. I think many different people are... are grieving in different stages and, and you talked about healing hearts and how important it was to be around other people yeah. going through and, and walking through um, something so similar. Have you got any other tips for people that are listening that are like, I don't know what to do, I'm just overwhelmed with grief? Yeah, uh, you, you've got to be selfish, man. You've got to really go and make the list and talk to people and I go, okay, number one, I'm drowning here. You know, there were mornings that I'd be quite happy if I didn't wake up. Plenty of people are thinking like that out mm. there. Number one, I got to get out of bed. I got to make myself a cuppa. I got to make my bed. I got to mm. do those basic things. And I got to surround myself with intelligent love. You know, so any sort of love's good. So if I was down the league club or something, one of the bros says, Oh, you'll be all right, bro. In my head, I'm going, you have no idea, mate. Mm. But what does he really mean? He doesn't know what to say. Mm. Hey, he's still giving his love. But you've got to find people who are going to wrap their intelligent aroha around you, people of wisdom. And for me, that's been the parenting place because, you know, most of them are intelligent. <laughs> and, and their faith and their aroha and all those sorts of things for people um, has helped me hugely. That was a definite systematic move I made to protect myself, to recharge my batteries, because I still had a lot to do and I still had a family, um, you know, that, that I was responsible to. So you have to, you can't sit there, mm. you know. And even if you can't move, you've got to tell somebody, I can't move, 
and keep talking, keep talking, keep talking. And, you know, I was drinking too much, so I own that. I recognise that. Um, I was very angry, very, very angry. And you know what? After six or seven, I can't even tell you the day my son passed away because I've blocked it out. I can't tell you. I think it's six years, but you've probably done the research. It might be seven years because I don't want to know. I can't watch a hospital program. You know, hmm. we were talking about the Casketeers, never watched an episode. Dragging yourself to a tonguey of another, you know, all those sorts hmm. of things. And that's what happens to people, eh? All those things can really, really affect you. But all right now, not all right. You're never hmm. going to be all right. Hmm. Because the depth of your grief is governed by the strength of your love. That's it. You talked about you and Deb walking through it together and then you're also doing your own walk through grief. What does it do to a family? Like, how's your family changed? I think, I think for Deb and I, it's welded us together, but it looks like some apprentice did the weld. It's not the flashiest, smoothest, streamlined weld, but it's welded. And when I head up north and I've got all my tools in the back of my car and I've got me you know, my towel hat on and I've got a couple of beers for me and my mate and I bought some nice steak and I'm heading up north. Makes her happy because, oh, he's off again, plonker. <laughs> but he's happy. So the other day, oh, actually it was just recently she was saying, hey, Dawn French is coming next year. I really love Dawn French. I think I'm going to go. Who are you going to take? Oh, I might take so-and-so. Makes me happy. Mm. Don't have to be together. Doesn't have to be together. Mm. You know, we're together in that in that world, but there's a lot of uh, there's too much history, and you know uh, we've survived this. We've survived those six years, and I think it's each other's job is to create a platform for your family to grieve safely. So my demands on her or my boys, not good. You know. But to create a platform where, you know, we're always here, here's some interesting books, you know, Deb's read a lot about uh, grief and stuff like that. Creating that platform in safety and creating an environment for repair, that's what we've got to do. Bit of a change of tech here, Pure. Um, Can you lighten it up a bit? Yeah, it's <laughs> you, about You know, food. I, used, I, I used to be a comedian, you know. <laughs> It's about food, and we all know that you love food and that you love talking about food, and you've actually been quite tough on me and my um, love of macaroni cheese, but I'm going to leave that aside. It's not even food. <laughs> and talk about this has been like a love language, and we talk about love languages at Parenting Place. But tell me about how food is such an expression of love for you, and when you come and sit down to a meal, something about the meal speaks of love. T tell us about that. Well, in a Māori sense, it's a really important part of protocol is once all the talk and stuff is carried on, we go to a, a, a place of safety. And in a Māori sense, in an Indigenous sense, we break bread together. Mm. So that's really important. For me, food, and I've changed, I've become a lot better because I shouldn't judge people. Really, um, food is about you give what you can give. 
but, you know, it'd be nice if it was a crayfish and, uh, you know, bits and pieces and that. But food's really important and it's a part of it. When you look at ancient cultures, you know, slow cooking, slow eating, mm-hmm. eating together, having a conversation. I remember my dad. My dad was born in 1913. So he adopted me when he was in his late 40s. Microwaves came out before he before he passed. I says, Dad, you're going to get a microwave? Oh, no, no, bloody hell, we. Yeah, I'm not getting one of those. I says, why not? It's really convenient. Yeah, that's a dangerous word, convenience, eh, we? <laughs> I says, oh, here we go. And he says, you know, we, you put down the hangi. By the time you sit down to eat, the fellow you put the hangi down with, you're either going to like him or you're going to kick him out because you've formed a relationship over the preparation of mm. food. He didn't say those words. He says, you can't get to know somebody in 45 seconds, mate. Mm. <laughs> what wisdom. When, when we used to take our kids, um, my kids, I wouldn't take my kids to fast food restaurants. Uh, once a year maybe, KFC, once a year McDonald's, that's all. So I took them to Chinese, so we'd do yum cha, we'd do Indian, we'd do that stuff. And, you know, at the age of 10, when Jack had his birthday, I says, okay, mate, five mates, a movie, okay, where do you want to go, yum cha? None of his mates have been to yum cha, mm. but that's education through food. Okay, and he's sitting there going, oh, we'll have the pork sumai. And I know it sounds a little bit like a snob, but, you know, why do we have to fill our tamariki full of this rubbish when they can actually have a cultural exchange and find some kai? Yeah. You know, and um, so all my boys were introduced to other cultures through kai. And as soon as we left, uh, you know, the Chinese lady say, uh, you boys had enough? And Tony would turn around and go, si, si. And her face mm. would just light up. Mm. You can travel the world without a blinkered passport, you know, and do all those things. So, yeah, food is mm. such an important thing of of weaving people together, mm. I think. Mm. Yeah. I'm wondering, because I'm still hoping one day I'm going to get the phone call for a travel show. Is there anything that you've still got on your bucket list that you just want to tick off career-wise? Yes. Because I've had the fishing shows, seven years travelling the Pacific and going around New Zealand, eating other people's people's uh, fish quota, uh, travel shows, entertainment shows, sketch comedy shows. But I would, there's a show called Alone, and it's on TV where you get dropped in the yeah. bush or somewhere, right? It's cool, man. And you have to survive for as long as you can. And if you win, you get half a million dollars or a million dollars, right? <clears throat> I want to produce that show, <laughs> but I'd love to do a uh, I'd love to do a piss take of one of those shows. Mm. You know, so here we are, Fano, in the back blocks of the Hokianga, and maybe you've got an apprentice cameraman, not a professional like we've got here, who's while you're in shot, he the camera just goes over and you catch the corner of the caravan, you know, or you catch the corner of the the hangi cooker. Just take the you take the Mickey out of these sorts. I reckon that'd be fun. Pure, we know that there's magic in parenting and there's mess, um, there's both. Where would you say the magic's been for you? In simple things. I remember the simple things that we would do, you know, teaching your kid how to ride a bike. You know, we live on a, a small lifestyle block. I encourage Jack, my eldest boy, uh, to save his money up for jobs and he ended up buying a calf. He reared that calf, mm. probably made 300% on the money of the calf. Guess what he does now? 
he does all that stuff yeah. now, eh? So giving them those sorts of skills, it's in their DNA anyway. But just the simple things and spending time together and watching them make decisions, it's so hard not to step in and help. And even now, because we're in a position of getting to this age that we, we have some security and stuff like that, you know, and um, you often go, well, you know, can't we sort it out, Deb? No. No, no. They can sort it out. Oh, yeah, but it's, uh, yes, exactly, it is easy for us to sort out. But they can sort, which is the exact right thing to do. Mm. But mine's quicker. So I get stopped doing that sort of stuff. Mm. <clears throat> I remember the first kahawai we caught on 90 mile beach. And that's the thing too, is people need to travel this beautiful country of ours with tourist lenses on because there are miracles everywhere in this country and we're mm. not seeing them. So if, you've, if you can only afford to buy, you know, a $3,000 Corolla, okay, which will go forever, and you can get a tent, and you can go out with a cooker, you can have a millionaire's weekend mm. with your tamariki just because of your attitude. Because some guy from America will pay 10 grand to come and do what we could do for not much at all. You know, so mm. those are the sorts of things that we've given our boys, and we love those. We, we love those sorts of things. We're lucky to live here. We're lucky to live in this country, warts and all. Sometimes we forget. We're the same age, Pio. You're just a little bit older than me. And when we look back God, on our parenting... on and on. And, sorry. <laughs> we look back on our parenting and we can see uh, that we've made some mistakes here and there and we've done some really good things as well. But if you were to give yourself, if you were to start again, what kind of advice would you give yourself um, if you were to start the whole parenting gig all over again? I think the big thing for me would be trying and find more balance when they were younger. I think a lot of the child-rearing and parenting was done by Deb because I was going hard. And that's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing, but getting that balance mm. right. You know, I've met many, many corporate leaders, successful people who have the same story of, man, you know, and they don't say they've achieved a lot. I know they've achieved a lot, but, you know, still struggling in some of the... Damage is a hard word, but some of the the compromises that were made mm -hmm. in those early years, they pop up, man. They pop up. And that would be the big thing. And that's the thing. When life was simpler, when my dad could bring us up on a truck driver's wage and mum mm. was home, we had that gift of time and conversation. I learned how to play the guitar, I learned how to play the ukulele, ukulele uh, the piano and all the rest of it. Mm. How can a kid do that these days when there's so many distractions? I had nothing else to do. There was one channel, you know. Oh, that Coronation Street was popular. Mate, it was the only thing on. There was one channel. Mm. Okay, so we had time to sit in a space and play the guitar, all these things. Now as parents, you've got to fight with everything mm. to find a time to develop those things, and they're beautiful things. Mm. So, yeah, yeah. Finding, finding balance... Um, is probably the mm. biggest one. Cool. Phil, one day you will give your last performance. The curtains will close. Um, it's going to happen to us all. But how do you hope to be remembered? Oh, 
that I didn't sell out. Comedy, it's easy to sell out. I didn't do the Ma the Maori jokes just to make the masses laugh at the expense of my people. That's the big one for me. Mm. It's a dangerous game, and the world has changed. I remember talking to a friend of ours, Jenny, about sandpaper moments, mm. you know, where you go, oh, oh, where did I get my back? I pinched it. For Māori, we all laugh, but it's a little sandpaper moment that brings up thieving. Zim. It's nothing. Then there's another joke. Zim. And then another joke. Zim. When I had to sign for something when I was about 25 years old, this beautiful young Pākehā woman says to me, and the pen wouldn't work, oh, that's a Māori pen, it won't work. Zim. Mm. Zim. Next minute, you put the same pressure on that spot, and it really hurts. I didn't want to be a part of that. Okay, that's not for sale. And I talked to my Pākehā whānau, who are my whānau. I love these people. And I says, you know, I should do a uh, a comedy show taking the mickey out of the all-black jersey. You know, the oh, you can't do that. That's tapu. So is my culture. Mm. And that's a game that some pong invented. I never miss a test match, by the way. But, you know, for me, he didn't sell out. Oh, the highs, the lows and the vulnerability. I just so um, appreciate your sharing, you know, his journey and some of the really hard stuff that him and his whanau have had to walk through. Mm, so true. One of the things I love that he touched on was um, talking about unconditional love and how much we need that. And when I think of the parenting realm and how much children need to know that the, the love that's there for them isn't tied to a condition. It isn't if you're good enough or strong enough or brainy enough or any of those things. It just is this beautiful security blanket that we give our kids that basically says, you are loved no matter what. Mm. And I think children thrive knowing that. Yeah. I also loved about how he was talking about giving his kids the skills of having a conversation, you know, making eye contact, smiling and, and being able to have a conversation with anyone. My four-year-old and six-year-old, um, while we're on holiday, they were in a cafe and they went up to the lady behind the counter and asked if she could please fill up their water bottles. And it was such a small thing, but I watched them and I was so proud mm. that they could do that, that they could get her attention and, and put this request. And I thought it's such a great gift to be able to give our kids to have a conversation and, and also not to always agree, but to be able to bring your ideas forward mm. and, and your perspective. You see, children want to make connections, but they don't yet know how. So when we encourage them to do what you've just said, where they take the initiative and they make eye contact and they respond or they initiate the conversation, they are doing the beautiful thing of, of making those connections and feeling really brave and courageous. And other people get to enjoy who they are. And so I love, it, it is a gift to mm. give our children is to really encourage them to step over that sort of shy threshold and yeah, say hello, ask people how they are, could you fill up my water bottle, all of those sort of things. Even Peel said sometimes, you know, he wasn't maybe the um, best person for the gig, I think was his words, but he was a nice guy. And if we're create, helping to create these kids, you know, instilling this confidence and they can have a conversation, it's going to help them in all areas of life. It absolutely is. 
Remember at Parenting Place, we have parenting coaches just like Jenny here who can support you on your parenting journey and give you tips and ideas. So do reach out if you'd like to chat. Head along to parentingplace.nz to find out more. Well, that wraps up another episode of Parents We've Met. As always, thank you so much for tuning into this podcast project of ours. We are loving putting it together for you. Now, we are all about supporting parents on their parenting journey. So if you'd like access to more resources, head over to our website, parentingplace.nz. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook. And if you're enjoying what we're doing here, we'd love if you could share it on social media or rate and review it on this app.